Welcome to The Undergrowth. I'm Marissa. And I'm Aaliyah. And we are on a journey to ignite collective liberation through juicy conversations. We will feature the voices of powerful truth-tellers, visionary artists, movement leaders, and wisdom holders to unveil their journey and share the medicine of their work. This space is an invitation to bring you into deep curiosity and self-reflection as we unpack the conditioning we no longer need to carry. And now, on to today's conversation. We are talking to Emma Rose Lynn, a vocal teacher, activist, and performer. We journey through their experience of being a young person who sang freely to training to be an opera singer. After navigating the academic world of classical music, they had to learn how to reconnect to their authentic expression by breaking free from the system that fractured their connection to what was truly innate, their voice. I'm going to help us drop into our bodies by just guiding a little meditation. So for our lovely listeners and Emma, who's on the other line, Mm -hmm. just an invitation to really drop into your body here. So closing the eyes, finding your breath. And just dropping your awareness deep into your belly. You might have been running around all day, moving through your life, but I want to invite you here in this moment to land completely and fully in the present moment. to feel into this body that is your home. And just invite your mind to follow suit. An invitation to imagine water running down the crown of your head Gently over your eyes, your cheeks, down the back of your neck. And imagine this water is the most loving, soothing energy you've received all day. Let it wash down your shoulders your upper back, your chest, rolling down onto your belly, your lower back. Coming onto your hips, your legs. Down into your feet, your calves, your ankles, your toes. Let yourself fully drink in the goodness of this healing water. And just with this, allowing any part of you that can to soften, to let go, to surrender the past and the future for the present, for this precious moment that can never be repeated. And just feeling deep into your body and your bones, the preciousness of your life, of your light, of your energy, 
And if it feels right, bringing one hand to your heart, one hand to your belly. Connecting with these potent energy centers, your heart and your intuition. and fully surrendering to their guidance. Trusting them every step of the way to bring forth exactly what wants to be spoken and shared, exactly what needs to be received. And then sealing that over your heart, placing both hands there and just pressing your palms into your own body, sending yourself some love. And we'll take three deep breaths together, inhaling through your nose. Exhale. Good, two more like that. Mm. Last one. Mm. Mm. Beautiful. And then stretching the arms overhead, maybe wiping your energy clear, making a big circle around your body. And then slowly, when you feel ready, opening your eyes into your own space. Thank you, Marissa, for that beautiful guided meditation. Mm -hmm. Yes, that was beautiful. Mm, thank you. Yeah. Oh, I continue to be floored by how much meditation transforms me. It's mm. so like potent. So thank you for, thank you listeners. Thank you, Emma. Thank you, Aaliyah for receiving and being present for that. Mm -hmm. feels really good to be with you all. Absolutely. Mm. <laughs> So thank you all for joining us tonight. Um, we are joined by Emma Rose Lynn, mm -hmm. who goes by they, them. And you are a vocal empowerment coach. Um, do you want to kind of get us started with a little bit of a story about maybe a part of your journey that really brought you into the work that you're doing? Yeah. Wow. It was such a beautiful invitation. And yeah, I think of myself actually primarily as a voice teacher. Mm. And that really comes directly from the lineage that I come from, which is the Western classical tradition. So funny enough, uh, I sometimes moonlight as an opera singer. Oh, <laughs> And um, I um, have always loved to sing. And when I was young, you know, you like couldn't keep me from singing. Mm -hmm. um, there's actually a really sweet song, um, uh, How Can I Keep From Singing? And I remember singing that's like coming in really, really um, strong right now. I like I remember singing that in choir when I was in high school. And that was such an important mm -hmm. um, little ecosystem for little teenage Emma to be, you know, in that room with all of those other bodies and voices and vibrating in harmony and learning to read music and uh, tuning chords and mm. exploring this whole like world of um, choral music really. And so I feel like in a lot of ways I come from that tradition of choral singing 
and I'm such a choir nerd. Like, shout out to all the choir nerds <laughs> who are <laughs> listening in the audience. You know who you are. I'm so here with you. <laughs> and that was like really where I first fell in love with singing. It was singing with other people and like that ability to create harmony together. And when I went off to college, um, I kind of through a circuitous route ended up choosing my college because I just fell in love with the choir director. Um, his name is Eugene Rogers and he's an absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal musician. Mm. Some of the best music making years of my life were under his direction um, wow. at, yeah, at McAllister in St. Paul, Minnesota. And um, I was like, he really kind of took me under his wing and, and encouraged me in a lot of really important ways. And I ended up studying, um, taking voice lessons for the first time in my life when I went to college and in a lot of ways was kind of uh, shepherded onto this path of classical music, which wasn't where I came from. You know, my parents listened to the Beatles and folk music growing mm -hmm. up. And um, when I was kind of exposed and I went to the symphony for the first time when I was you know, 19 years old and I heard like the Minnesota Orchestra play Shostakovich Five and it just blew my soul open. <laughs> like just like, just I will never forget. Like I think it was the first time in my life I remember being speechless and it was like speechless in this way where like I just didn't have words to describe how powerful the experience was. And it has often felt to me in my life like music and singing is how I communicate my experience when I don't have the words for mm. it. And that was a really pivotal moment in my life. And I ended up kind of on this track of classical music and... Um, ended up getting a master's in vocal performance and doing the whole thing. And then, um, you know, when I graduated my master's degree, um, the journey kind of took a, a sharp turn in a lot of ways, which led me to kind of where I am now, which is a really different place than where I thought I'd be, <laughs> when I thought I'd be an opera singer. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of like, I feel like when I was wearing my like normal person suit, you know, I was like <laughs> on this track, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to be a classical musician. And, mm -hmm. and in a lot of ways, I am a classical musician. I'm very much part of that tradition and, and have so much respect for the lineage and for the teaching teachers that I've had and incredible just music that lives in that realm. And at the same time, um, I, I had some really kind of um, adverse experiences with voice teachers, with mm -hmm. the industry of classical music, um, that after a time, like my, really it was that my mental health wouldn't sustain me staying in that mm -hmm. system. And, or at least not exclusively in that system. And it led me on kind of this really um, interesting journey that I feel like I'm still on of discovering kind of how the voice can be a modality of healing and an mm. expressive device that can communicate aspects of the human experience that I personally like don't know how else to express. And so I feel like a lot of my work is inviting people into um, the fullest expression of themselves through their voice in sound. Mm. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So it's so beautiful to hear about the, yeah, the long and winding journey that you've <laughs> taken to be on the path that you are right now. And I, yeah, for the listeners, I Emma and I sing together, and it is so magical. <laughs> we have a third human who's not present, um, who's named Tori Yotter, and we, the three of us have been singing together. And Emma 
has inspired me so deeply. And I remember, Emma, when you first phrased it, because um, for, for, for me, I, I, for a long time, I thought, okay, I, I love writing poetry. I love singing, but I can't write songs. Like, I, I don't write songs. And I had such a structured version of a song. And, and then I started finding like music just came through me. And once you named it, you were like, I caught a song the other day. And I remember <laughs> this just landing in my heart in such a beautiful way, because the music that comes through me feels like it's mine, but it's not mine. And I've written it, but it's I haven't written it. And I like I've caught mm. it. And I just wonder, I would love to hear more if you want to share about a sto the story of how that came to you or what it means mm. to catch a song. <laughs> Oh my gosh, yes. Um, yes, um, song catching is a thing. <laughs> I'm quite convinced. I've had that same experience where that language came to me when I caught my first spell song. And um, I, so I use the term spell song to refer to, you know, little melodies and songs that are really can really act as like anchors and like affirming beautiful melodies that express us as we like desire to be understood and they like to me it's almost like and I think Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this idea as well like that there's almost like um, I'm an animist and so to me like everything in the world has a spirit and it's almost like each of these songs has a spirit and these spirits are floating around <laughs> in the ether mm -hmm. and just waiting for us to tune in and listen and let mm. them move through our voices mm. and so to me it's felt really um empowering um i think you know we could we could talk about perfectionism or just like this the critic or the way that we kind of have like been conditioned to silence our voices in certain ways. And like, I can kind of really get in my own head or there's this like kind of egoic complex of like I have to compose music and like coming from the classical tradition, like there's like Mozart to compete with. <laughs> there's <laughs> Beethoven, <laughs> like, it's like, what? Like, that's a really high bar. <laughs> and um, it's been really helpful in just like making it accessible to myself, kind of getting myself out of my own way when I really tap into kind of this much deeper understanding that feels like it's kind of coming from a deeper, more ancestral place in me, mm. that like, actually, these songs aren't mine. It's actually not about me. Mm. It's like, perhaps I'm lucky enough to let them move through me and I'm lucky enough to, like, share them. But mm. I don't um, mm. presume to, like have any more of a um of like an in intuitive or innate connection to my voice than you do to yours marissa or you do to yours Aaliyah, or every single person listening on this podcast does mm -hmm. to theirs and it's my understanding that it's like our voices can teach us so much and there's so much music that's waiting to be sung mm -hmm. and that we all have equal access to this like untapped, untapped um, generosity of song that I feel like is just waiting to come through us once we give it permission. And so the idea of spell song, um, it, it, that language originally comes from a poet, Robert McFarland, who um, like spell songs are meant to evoke the magic of nature mm -hmm. and words that describe nature and the complexity of the beauty of nature and bring those words to life in an era where so much of our language revolves around technology and binary thinking and is somewhat reductive to the like vastness of the natural world. And so to me, spell songs are almost like, it's like we're singing spells. It's like we're all mm -hmm. a little bit of magic and um, that if we kind of open ourselves up to listen for that within us and around us, that we too can be adding to that musical conversation that is constantly happening. Mm. Mm. 
I love hearing you talk about your kind of perspective um, and experience with the transition from classical to this spell song um, kind of arena that you're speaking to. And I'm curious, maybe what happened to transition you into that? Because I feel like there's definitely got to be, you know, a, a fork in the road or a pivot in your life that came through to kind of move you in this direction of really um, kind of the unlearning that happens. I, I, I did vocal training when I was younger um, and I only did it for a couple of years. And, and, I, and I do know that there's this big difference between, um, you know, classical training and learning to read music and, and you know, harmonizing and, and pitch and, and everything to more of this free form tapping into your intuition um, and like really listening to catch that song. And so what, what maybe brought that about for you? Mm. Thank you for asking that. It's yeah. such a crucial, um, such a cru cru crucial question in my life. Mm. And I can feel my body responding. Um, mm. And um Yeah, the, the transition that happened for me was that um, when I was working as a classical musician in that industry, um, my experience was that I was constantly being told what my voice should sound like or what my voice should feel like. Um, mm -hmm. And yet I also wasn't being given tools to um, really be able to be in the discernment process of what genuinely felt free and easeful and pleasurable mm -hmm. in my own body. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a really important thread in classical music that, you know, the music itself is an entity under itself. And then there's the industry that's sprung up around it. And the roots of that industry are in a lot of ways um, Eurocentric mm -hmm. and come from the aristocracy. And so classical music and the classical music industry is designed around like a certain group of people and the ideals are kind of put forth as if it's a superior form of music uh, to any other form of music. Mm. And so there was this kind of like insidious, um, like nagging sensation within me where I felt like I was constantly being asked to produce, you know, a, a clear, pure, legato sound that was beautiful yes is an olympian feat to produce is extraordinarily difficult and there's parts of me that like really thrived on that like pursuit of excellence and my body couldn't really sustain it mm -hmm. um i'm someone who has migraine and i during my master's degree started getting like weekly migraines because mm. of the intense performance pressure that I was under and the environment that I was in that it didn't make it possible to kind of really get enough rest that I needed in order to be sustainable. Mm. And at the same time, I was witnessing, um, I was witnessing my colleagues who were um, perhaps in like had different privileges than I do. Um, you know, my black and brown colleagues were not getting the same performance opportunities. Mm. And my colleagues who live in large bodies were not getting the same performance uh, opportunities. Mm. And there was a lot of like, just racism mm -hmm. that was like rampant in mm. the ways that, and I don't mean, um, 
like, I mean, in the institutions, you know, the composers whose music right. was getting performed are mostly white and male. And that's changing a lot due to the efforts of, of singers um, who are people of color, who are championing incredible works that should be getting the stage time that they deserve. Mm -hmm. And when I was in that, I just felt this kind of like, I don't know that I can continue participating and constantly like um, being told what I should be sounding like and not asked what I wanted to sound like. Mm, I love that. Mm -hmm. And I, I can only imagine what that experience was like for singers who had even less privilege than I do. I'm, I'm yeah. white, I present pretty female and like, and I'm a soprano. And, you know, I, there was many times where I was kind of like, sopranos are a dime a dozen. There's a lot of sopranos. And um, it just kind of got exhausting. It got exhausting to constantly be auditioning for very few opportunities and not being paid, not being like, um, yeah, there's just a lot that I was like, I don't, this feels unjust to me on some deep level. Mm -hmm. And my identity and my understanding as an activist, like really didn't mesh with the way that I felt like I had to present myself in order to be hired or the things mm -hmm. that I needed to not say in order to be hired back. Oof. And I still have so much respect for a lot of musicians in the field and that's by no means um, mm -hmm. universal. And I had enough of those experiences that I was like, wait, hold on, what is happening here and what else is possible? Mm -hmm. So I got really curious about that idea of like, what else is possible? And um, kind of took a step back from that whole identity and that whole career, which was so difficult and really came because I think my body could not sustain the, the pace at which I was pushing myself in order to meet those standards. Mm. Um, and so it really was like a physical, like my body couldn't lie anymore. There was too much like didn't align with who I am and what I value. I had to really kind of step back and ask some really hard questions and do some really deep healing work from mm. kind of some of the ways that I myself had experienced harm in that environment. Mm. Wow. I'm so grateful that you're touching on, there's two threads that are coming through that I feel like are so important, which is the systems in place are not serving us is what I'm hearing. And I know that this is super prevalent. No matter where, what industry you, you glance at, there's this, there's the pressure and the expectation for us to be like robots or beyond, beyond humans. And I'm hearing this story of your body telling you demanding like emma we cannot do this mm -hmm. and i'm curious if you could speak to that experience because i imagine there was there was and maybe still is like major resistance to that experience as well right like the times when our bodies like quote unquote fail us or let us down and actually like a friend recently said your body doesn't speak to you in words. It speaks to you in, in sensation, in illness, in issues. Like that is how it communicates to you. And I sometimes when we're injured or we're ill or there's something going on, it's easy for us to turn in on ourselves and make our bodies wrong. And yet our bodies are so intelligent and they're the messengers of, of, of what I'm hearing is like justice and activism and the life that you that your body's like oh, I want to live this Emma we can't do this I want to move away and I'm curious like what that what that experience was like for you if there's still resistance and like how how you show up to your body when it doesn't always work the way that you want it to mm. wow that is such a oh, wow that is such a tender question <laughs> Mm. Um, yeah, I think for a long, long 
long time. I've had migraines regularly since I was like 13. And so there have been many, many experiences where I've just had the experience of what felt like at the time just missing out on life. You know, just like in so much pain and so isolated and alone and feeling like my body was attacking me. Mm. And um, I think for a long time that led to a sense of like really deep despair and at the same time like urgency that like I had to do as much as I could in the hours that I was well because I knew another migraine would be coming. Mm. And that cycle is something that I feel like I've really only cracked the code on unwinding from like within maybe the last two years. Mm. And part of that has been circumstantial. Um, Part of it is that I've, when it really clicked for me, the like relationship between grind culture and white supremacy and how important rest is Mm. to building sustainable relationships and sustainable communities. Like I, I realized how like in layers, this took, you know, has been years of unpacking within myself because I had so much just urgency built into my body. Um, And it took, it's still something I'm in conversation with, but when Mm. COVID happened in March of 2020, um, you know, I had my first professional, really professional contracts that were supposed to happen in the spring and summer of 2020. And, you know, after a decade of like working for this career in this incredibly, you know, competitive industry, Mm. I felt like I kind of finally made it. And then the universe was like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) And and that has been such a long grief process and um, something that I still navigate because I think singers in particular, um, we are like really lovey people. Like we just want to like get into a room and sing. And to be a singer in this time of COVID has been... um, just like such a, a raw and heartbreaking kind of journey. And like, just to all the singers out there, um, wherever you are, like, you know, like that, like we're actually all here with each other, even in this time where it's not as accessible to sing together, or perhaps we have like, there's barriers to singing together. And um, I guess I'm kind of, following that thread but it's like it's been it's actually been through losing my entire career Mm. overnight Mm. and I love teaching I love working with people I feel it like it's such an honor when someone comes to me and is willing to like trust me with creating space for their voice to bloom Mm. um that like all of that moved online. And so the whole dynamic of the lesson context really changed, which has been beautiful in a way. But I feel like what has been important for me is actually like my voice has been a through line throughout that process. And even when I lost everything, you know, kind of externally, um, I kept coming back to my voice and it's actually what allowed some of these spell songs to emerge through me was that it was like it was the way that I was able to stay with my body and stay with my voice Mm. and continue being in relationship with my voice and learning from my voice um not for you know the glamour and the you know prestige and the like kind of you know, saying that I could do it or, what you know, any of that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. it was because I love to sing and I think it's foundationally important to the human experience. Mm-hmm. And it's become, like, such... Yeah, it's become such a way that I, I ground and connect to who I am. Um, that, like, I have a much more, like, flexible mindset now, I think, than I used to. I've kind of gotten mm-hmm. um, less rigid with, like what context we do music in and 
why we do music and what for and some of those questions I feel like that has been um, because the voice comes from the body that's been actually like the passageway for me to heal as well mm. Mm. wow I want to circle back there is there's two things one you mentioned rest and I wonder, I'm like forgetting the human's name who has started that revolution. And I wonder if you can shout them out here. Rest is revolution. Trisha mm-hmm. Hershey. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. The nap ministry. The nap ministry has changed my life. Oh, oh my God. Changed my life. Yes. yes. Goddess. Yeah, yes. that is so weird. powerful. I think I referenced earlier, you know, the the, re- the connection between rest and grind culture, and that comes directly from Trisha Hersey's scholarship. And she mm-hmm. is such a wealth of wisdom, just an incredible human that I look up to so much. Mm, yeah, change has changed my life. If you're listening to this, follow the nap ministry right now. That is yes. like, it's seriously so foundational. And I think to circle back to this, feeling of your body sending you messages in the form of migraines, which I had a phase in high school where I was having migraines and I would completely lose my vision. I mean, it it felt, it was debilitating. And so I can only imagine you having to navigate this from 13 years old, uh, how, right. And how many people in the world are navigating chronic issues that don't go away, that we're having to learn how to live with. And yeah, in a culture that tells us, no, like, don't stop. No, you can't take care of yourself. No, you're not supposed to be different or move slowly or take time off. And I want to like circle back around to this idea because you've been mentioning your career, like you fostered this long term, like all this energy and, and commitment to becoming this powerful and and talented singer and then all of it just disappeared from under you and I guess this thought about about success and failure is coming up um Mm -hmm. and in the context of our society um and you mentioned a little bit like singers and a certain type of singer being the most successful or something getting Mm -hmm. some sort of Mm -hmm. energy and I'm wondering if you could touch on that like success success and failure oh yes um yeah I think um a lot of what I experienced I think is um a direct result of kind of just some of the biases that are inherent in the American academic institution towards classical music and that I think varies widely depending on where you are and what the teachers are prioritizing at the institution that you're at but um it just I got a lot of implicit messaging and explicit Mm. um that like becoming an opera singer was like the one true path (laughs) (laughs) and anything other than that was lesser than (laughs) And I totally internalized that Mm. and um, believed that. And it's just simply not true. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I mean, and that's not to disrespect operatic or classical singing. And I still do um, a lot of classical singing, you know, and I really kind of developed my relationship with that repertoire. And I, I do it in ways that I really enjoy and have found my own relationship with it and work with incredible musicians that I just love. Mm-hmm. And so like, there's no disrespect there. And there is something to like, that, you know, that form of singing takes a long time to master. Mm-hmm. And it really is a virtuosic art form, but it's not the only virtuosic style of music. You know, when I listen to like, I've been like really on like a, a Celtic folk singing like kick <laughs> lately and there's this tradition called Shannos that are these stories and I, I really haven't um, like I'm not an expert in this tradition so I don't want to go out of my lane but it's just like 
I'm deep diving and there's just so much nuance and history and tradition and storytelling and, and like just style and these musical attributes and you know from around the world there's these musical traditions that are centuries generations old and are like incredibly complex and beautiful and to say that like one particular tradition is inherently superior to any other particular tradition is just like so egocentric and like it's like such a it's such a false paradigm and I think I internalized that in such a way that like I felt like the songs that did want to come through me or the sounds that came through me that weren't um, you know, celebrated in the classical style, the like kind of gravelly sounds or the breathy sounds, you know, anything other than this pure legato or was, was like not okay. Mm. And so I kind of internalized, I was like, these parts of my voice are not okay. Like there's mm. something about these parts of my voice that are not allowed. And the only thing that's allowed is a beautiful sound. And in that, if we're only allowing ourselves to sound beautiful, we're only communicating that aspect of the human experience. Mm -hmm. But not all of life is beautiful. Not everything inside me is beautiful. I am not perfect. Like there are like growly sounds that want to come through me. There are screechy sounds. I'm annoyed sometimes. It's like <laughs> the full range of human expression can come through our voices. And yet I think especially like for female bodied beings, there's a lot of ways in which we are we receive a lot of messaging about like what is and is not acceptable in our voices. Mm -hmm. And then we conform our voices to fit this very narrow range of human expression Oof. rather than like the full wildness of truly like, like sobbing and keening and like, like, I don't know, deep belly laughs and like sounds of delight and pleasure and like cute puppy noises and like, <laughs> like, so many aspects that kind of just end up that we have access to when we're children and we do really naturally and you hear children doing this when they're playing you know it's like so innate in us and yet we kind of slowly sculpt ourselves into this much narrower um, pathway of expression and so a lot of what I'm interested in now and a lot of what I do with my clients now is like gently broadening that pathway it's like, what does it sound like? What is it? Like, what's the experience of making a really big, angry yell <laughs> in a way that, like, doesn't hurt the body? You know, you're still listening to those signals, but that, like, that experience of, like, what is it like to take up that much vocal space and be that big with your voice? Mm. And some of that is very much celebrated in opera. Like, we love big sounds in opera. <laughs> and, um, you know, we don't, and that's, it's like, there's a very narrow, like, um, kind of like construct of what sound should be like. And so I just have gotten really curious about just like all of these other kind of primal sounds that are available to us and are so expressive. And so I just get really excited by that kind of like diversity of sound palette. <laughs> yes, I love that. I love how you describe that. And it, it really is interesting when we kind of take this this um, kind of journey into the direction of really learning to let out noise and expression that is not necessarily idyllic or pretty, um, you know, and and really um, takes a, a deep dive into this realm of kind of unlearning and and releasing like from the social conditioning and mm -hmm. um I'm curious I, I think this is I'd love to kind of ask a question or take it in this uh, direction that Marissa shared with me before we got on um she had mentioned to me that you um you have this aspect of the empowered voice the um the coaching that you do and really how is it connected to the social justice work that you're doing? I feel like this is a great direction to kind of move into. If you'd like mm. to talk about that a little. Yeah, I would love to. Um, yeah, I think I want to share an experience I had actually that was really foundational to the empowered voice. Um, yeah. So the empowered voice is a, is like a, an eight week course that I offer 
and um, I had the experience once of going to an anti-racism work with or an workshop with a woman named Oni Marchbanks, who's become a really important mentor of mine. And um, she's a black woman, and she lives in this area in in Oregon. She's up in Salem, and she's a diversity, equity, inclusion educator. And when I was in this workshop, um, there, there was this moment when like white supremacy was activated in the space and a white woman basically tried to, um, I think unconsciously, but like shut down Oni and Oni stood up for herself in a way that like I had never seen someone stand up for themselves. Mm -hmm. It felt like a lightning bolt went through my soul. And I was so um, struck by just the way that she was able to um, speak her truth about her experience. And simultaneously, it was like the veil got ripped off and I started looking at all of the ways in which I had been seeing whiteness active in spaces that I was in, but I didn't really have the language to talk about it. Mm. And I didn't even have access to my voice. I would experience this thing where like, it was almost like I would lose words or like not know what to say, you know, and, um, I saw that happen in real time in this scenario where I realized that like predominantly the, the white women in the room didn't have words to explain or to express or to stand up for um, against racist ideas. And it led me on this really incredible journey. And I discovered the work or I was led to the work of Rosma Menachem, who's a trauma therapist. And he wrote a book called My Grandmother's Hands that was been really foundational for me. And that was the first um, somatic practice book that I really kind of spent time with. And um, it's all about like how race lives in our bodies mm -hmm. and how the, like, the, the history of how race manifests in this country kind of permeates a lot of our societal institutions and i i felt like one of the per, like one of the ways that this pernicious evil ideology is allowed to perpetuate is through the silence of especially white women and as a voice teacher like i had had these experiences where i'd seen something happen or i remembered instances in my childhood. You know, I grew up with, um, one of my brothers is Asian. And so I grew up in a family that is biracial and I saw these things happen to my brother that didn't happen to me. And um, knew they were wrong as a kid, but didn't know how or to say anything. And I think what I've discovered throughout this work is that that's a really common experience. And I can only speak from my experience, but I've had a lot of um, white women especially share with me like I just don't know what to say or I froze or um, you know I knew that was wrong but I didn't know how to like blah 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 and like that's a really valid experience and if that's never addressed like the impact of that is that white supremacy continues to flourish in spaces where white women don't know how to access their voices mm. yes and so yeah it like that's where the empowered voice came from was directly from that experience of just like being like, I, I don't know how to fix this problem. Like, I don't know how, not that it's something that can be fixed in one generation even. And I know that I'm only at the beginning here, but like, this is a way that I'm gonna ask this question. And so really it's like that space that I created, the empowered voice was like, race was central. It was like, how do we have these conversations? How do we stand up for ourselves when we're experiencing the freeze response? And like, mm -hmm. let's create a space where we can do that. And at the same time, be cultivating a joy practice through singing. 
and using singing as a way to be in relationship with our voice and look at all of the ways that we're silenced and silence ourselves and silence one another and talk over people and all of these like dynamics that I think yeah. can go unacknowledged because they're just the water we swim in, the air we breathe. Mm -hmm. And so how do we disrupt that and create space for a different way to emerge? Mm. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Oh, it's so, so good to hear you talk about all this. Also, shout out to Emma right now. Listeners, totally take the empowered voice. It's so brilliant. <laughs> I took it back in February of 2020. And yeah, it just, it blew, it blew me away. And your leadership and care and intentionality just inspired me. I was like, I want to be Emma one day. I want to lead a workshop like this. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. I'm so glad it was a good experience. And I'm so honored that people have been finding it meaningful because it's really, yeah, it's really came from this place of just like, I don't, I don't know what else to do, but like, mm -hmm. I got to get people in a room to address this because it's super important. <laughs> it is, you know, I'm reflecting on so many experiences I've had myself in exactly what you're speaking, uh, uh, speaking to both in the aspect of, you know, being in a place where I just don't have the words to describe mm -hmm. or to um, intelligently educate somebody, right? Somebody says something and I just, my brain just goes like a million miles a minute being like, this is wrong. And then mm -hmm. to try to explain to them or teach them or, you know, some, some way to, to educate people. It's so hard. I have that. Not that I freeze. I definitely come across, I say like, Hey, that's wrong. And I'll speak mm. up, but then how do art how to articulate being a good ally? Really, it's it's you know there's there's definitely the first step, um, and I feel like the the biggest challenge I encounter on a regular basis is really just how to articulate and help somebody see when their prejudice is you know just completely clouded. So you, it it takes a lot to really get somebody to. A, change their mind or just to listen, to even hear it. Absolutely. Can you speak to that? Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I really hear you. I, I have a lot of this, the same, I think the question is like, how do I, how do I bridge that gap? Yeah. Like how, you know, and I think in my experience, it's like in bridging that gap, like there's so much that is not talked about mm -hmm. when it comes to race specifically in white communities that the moment we start going there and the, when I have been in those conversations it's like such a magnifying glass on mm -hmm. my own conditioning you know like the ways in which I convince myself it's okay to not say something or it's okay to, to not be um in the conversation or I can kind of you know like like my own racism will come up and I'll see it. And I'm like, I didn't even know that was in me. Like, mm. fuck, where did I get that idea? Or like, where did I get that complacency from? Or like, mm. you know, it's like, and so I feel like one thing that's been super important for me has just been like really taking a magnifying glass to like my own conditioning within this culture mm -hmm. in which like it's the norm and it's so violent. And so it's like, where where are those ideas within me and how can i unpack those and how can i how can i be humble and acknowledge that i'm at the very beginning of this journey mm -hmm. and that like there are activists and educators who have been doing this work their entire lives and generations of people um especially in the black and brown and indigenous communities who like i am looking to and learning from mm -hmm. and so to not like put myself at the center of that conversation but to do what's mine to do mm -hmm. and i think the other thing is that it gets real messy sometimes, like for real, it gets really messy. And it's like, I've been in conversations where it's just like, I know that I need to stay in this conversation with this person and I need to stay in relationship with this person. And like my voice is trembling 
or like my body is shaking or I feel like I want to run and hide or like this makes me feel like I was what I did that one time when I was scared and afraid and like it brings up a lot of our own um shit <laughs> to look at. <laughs> yeah and so I feel yeah. like there's a certain element to which like we have to be so willing to mm. be imperfect and mm. be messy and not know the answers and to pause and to not push and to come back and to genuinely come with curiosity because I think it's so easy to like slip sideways into that role of like well you're the racist <laughs> you know? yeah. and it's like uh who am I to say that like I am just as fallible as the next person. And yes, there are definitely people who are in like a deep state of denial. And there are a lot, like, there's a lot of room for growth, even just within my intimate relationships, you know, with like my primary partner or my parents or my friend, long-term friends, you know, like, are, am I, am I bringing it up? Are we, are we like talking about it within those spaces so mm -hmm. that it radiates outward and that I have practice being in those conversations when I have a lifetime of when, those conversations haven't been, um, uh, I haven't prioritized those conversations in the same way. Mm. Thank you for describing that. I, I seem to come up against that, that kind of question and um, in many different spaces. Thank you, it was very well said. Mm. Yeah, I also want, I want to, I know that we've talked about it a little bit, like dropped here and there, but I would love to let the listeners know what your offerings are and like, what's, what's the medicine of your work and how can they receive you and your, your knowledge and wisdom? Absolutely. Yes. Well, I think the thing that I'm, I, that I'm, oh gosh, there's so many that I'm so <laughs> it for <laughs> um I so one of the one of the things that I'm working right now on is I'm fascinated by dreams I'm just find dreams so interesting and so evocative and so I have a dear friend and colleague Gary Braun and he is a dream work guide and has been um kind of working within that tradition from kind of from Robert Moss and um we're doing a collaborative workshop with the intersection of dreams and the voice. And mm -hmm. so using the voice as a way to work with the dream world and using the dream world as a way to work with the voice. Mm -hmm. So we're doing a workshop on that and that will be um, a repeating cycle of workshops that come up as a day long intensive. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm really excited about that. And then the other project that I'm really passionate about right now is that I've just launched today, actually, um, another collaboration with a, a colleague, uh, Megan Durham. Her um, Instagram is Respire Vocal Wellness. And we're doing a workshop for classical singers. Um, mm. So for those with lived experience in the classical singing tradition, that's called Our Sovereign Voices. That's going to be in January. Mm. Um, and so if you're a classical singer and you're interested in these kinds of conversations and how to use the voice as a healing modality or perhaps work with students in your studio in that way, um, that might be um, something to kind of to keep tabs on. Mm. And then the Empowered Voice. I'll be doing the next round of the Empowered Voice in January. And um, people can find that information on my website, which is emmaroseland.com. Mm. And also through my Instagram, which is the Empowered Voice. Um, mm. And so I feel like some of those like projects are, I'm, I'm just really interested in kind of creating space where this work can kind of continue to unfold and evolve and invite more and more voices into the conversation and look at it from new angles and really continue this journey of kind of like, how, I, I feel like we've only scratched the surface on like what our voices are capable of. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah. I know. I love, I love, I love the richness. Dreams are so beautiful. I also, <laughs> Emma, I've been thinking about you so much because Emma shared this brilliant and beautiful like dream uh, practice where you reflect mm -hmm. back, you share your dreams with maybe someone or a group of people and then they walk through your dreams as if it's their dream and oh it was so healing and I can't stop thinking about it and I think it was Gary, right, who came yeah this came through 
Um, well, no, actually, Gary learned it from um, an indigenous uh, mm. people, the Sinoi people, and he knows more about this so I don't than I do. But the idea is that all dreams are dreams of the collective. And so all dreams are meant to be shared. So any individual who has a dream, like the person who's sharing that dream, as I'm sharing my dream, for example, like you, you all are having your own version of that dream because it's of the collective. Mm. And so all dreams are meant to be shared. And so in sharing our dreams with one another, we're able to kind of open them up. And so that's really Gary's area of specialty. And I have, I've learned so much from him. I think he's an incredible person to work with. Mm. I'm so excited about that. I also want to drop Dina Metzger, this powerful, badass woman who does dream work too. And I also want to tell our listeners that you are based in Eugene, Oregon, because some of our listeners are from all parts of the country. And and we'll definitely link your website and your Instagram and ways for them to get connected with you. But I want to just make sure, are these all in-person um offerings or is there anything that people can do with you online from different parts of the country yeah they I so I also teach online and hold space for voices online for sure um and our sovereign voices will actually be online um and um I do a lot of work with um kind of ancestral connection with people online so if you're someone who's interested in exploring your ancestry through song um that's something that I can definitely offer support for um, through the Zoom world, <laughs> through the internet realms. Um, yeah, so I'm absolutely available for, for the both and. Awesome. That's wonderful. I'm so, so glad to know about all your offerings. Well, Marissa and I love to kind of wrap up our um, podcast, which has been such a juicy conversation. Um, but we love to wrap it up with this last question of if you could um, write a love note to your younger version of yourself, what would it say? <laughs> wow. I think it would say you know. Mhm. Mm Keep doing you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> also I don't want to put you on the spot and also I've been <laughs> having this inkling that I want you to sing something I have the same inkling Yay! okay and I promise if it doesn't feel right mm -hmm. don't do it but if there's anything on your heart a song a melody a spell song <laughs> I would love to sing something yes <laughs> hmm Yeah, I think I want to share the first spell song I ever caught. Ooh. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, this is a spell song that I often return to in moments when I feel ungrounded. And I like to say, um, or it seems to me that this is a spell song for radical belonging. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, that I know as I walk through the world, I am a welcome guest. Mm. Oh, that I know as I walk through the world, I am a welcome guest. Mm. With the sky up above and the roof below, I am a welcome guest. Mm. With the sky up above and the roads below, I am a welcome guest. Mm. Oh, that I know as I walk through the world, I am a welcome guest. Mm. 
So beautiful. Mm. I so look forward to the moment when COVID is lifted and I can come see one of your concerts. Wow, Emma. <laughs> Thank you. You can come on December 18th. Oh, concert in Eugene. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Where? It is at Central Lutheran Church. And it is a program of art song. So it's a classical program. Um, and art song is poetry set to music. And it's all poetry about dreams. It's with my ensemble Spire duo. Wow. wow. The, the pianist is Andrew Pham, really dear friend and colleague and incredible musician. Well, I will definitely be there. Um, our, the, we definitely will be launching this podcast after that date. So, so sad for listeners, <laughs> but <laughs> more to come. <laughs> Indeed. Wow, Emma. Thank you. Thank you. You are such an incredible being and I can only imagine what's going to unfold for you. And I feel, yeah, so blessed to be a part of your journey. Mm. Thank you so much for having me. This has been an absolute delight and mm -hmm. really a generous space that you're creating. Today's episode was sponsored by the people who love and support us in our unfolding. We couldn't do it without them. Deep gratitude to you all, our listeners, for showing up to learn and grow with us. We are honored to be on this journey with you. We'd love to continue connecting. Find us on Instagram at the undergrowth podcast and support this evolving community by donating through Venmo at nurtured-rhythm. Make sure to subscribe to stay in the loop. We can't wait to have you for our next episode.